This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. Can you do me a favor? I'm sorry to do this right in the beginning of this video, but uh, maybe you could do it. Is just turn the air. You want to do it? Turn the air conditioning on down one, not off, just down one notch. The bottom right corner of the console there. There's a little tiny button. No, no, you're just starting to press buttons, bro. You got it. Okay. I love different. I love different personality types. I've got a whole bunch on. Anyway, um, please also join the YomTovMediaClub.com. Please go online and, and just uh, join that club. Even for uh, just the slightest student rate, set and forget, so we can uh, reach as many people as possible. Um, yeah, so today and tomorrow are special days in Israel because today is the Memorant. Remembrance Day? I only know the Hebrew part. Uh, how do you say it in English? No, Memorial Day. Know. Memorial Day. Uh, and and Today today's Memorial Day, and tonight begins what's called the Independence Day. Now, um, how are we supposed to handle this as Torah Jews? Because these these days were developed by non-Torah Torah observant Jews. So the people who made these days were not interested in Torah. At all, um, quite the opposite, actually. They were. Kithar, they, come on, come on. Shh. Little. That's not fair. <laughs> they were. They were interested in in, uh, in national means, but they were, what they were, and this I'll give you is that they were very, very Jewish, very Jewish, and they their aims were the survival of the Jewish people in a, a national homeland to protect our people. And, and they were, a big part of their narrative was, uh, by the way, don't freak out over David. David's one of my oldest students ever. I'm very old, 48. You're not 48. I am. Are you kidding? No. Anyway, he's been my student for, for two and a half decades. And so he feels that once you hit the two-decade mark, you get to say whatever you want during the class. But, but I will ask you, because I'm injured right now, and I'm really on edge. I got hurt just now. Oh, what happened? I hurt your feelings? I do. No, I'm physically injured, and you can never hurt my feelings. I hurt my... I, I seem to have torn uh, a muscle here. And ultrasounds only open on Sunday, so... On Friday. I'm right around the corner. You need shit too. Thank you. I'm not sure what that is you said, but... There was a sign right behind there. Shitsu. Okay. Anyway, um, so for example, one of the narratives of the state of Israel is... is um, is It's like this... Like we sprouted out of the Holocaust. So like like somehow what happened in... in Europe during World War II with the Holocaust gives us our right to be here. You know, to the point where they'll like take dignitaries to uh, Yad Vashem as like their first stop. You know, to look what happened. We need to have a safe Israel and we deserve to be here. But of course, from a Torah perspective, our, 
our existence here has nothing to do with the Holocaust. It's nothing to do with any of that. And if you really go deep in Torah, then you find out that you could say even that the Holocaust happened because of the state of Israel, because the every because the only three times we've ever come in mass to Israel, we were attacked by a certain uh, a certain tribe called Amalek, and um, we were attacked by Amalek on the way to Israel when we left Egypt. We were attacked by Amalek when we left Babylon. It was the year we were leaving, and that was the Purim story. And the only other time we've ever come back here in mass was for the state of Israel, and we were attacked once again. And it's been proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that th- that they had that the Nazis themselves had a direct tie to Amalek. So <laughs> think how backwards the state's narrative is. Is that like is that there was a Holocaust and we need a state? No, it's that there was a, that we were creating a statehood in mass was the actual cause of the Holocaust, which is a wild thought, but it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Same from Herzl you, before, that's why we were attacked or what? Uh, you've got to go easy on me right now. Okay. Yeah, just hold all questions. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> we have to love each other very much. <laughs> so it's like, me getting upset at David's like, impossible. So as much as he, he may push people's buttons, he knows mine are... Minor. I've got I've got lots of them. I just like myself too. <laughs> so, anyway, the um, yeah. So as much as that sounds like radical stuff, if you were in my class called Control, it's not my class. It's part of the Discovery or Arachim seminars. You'd be like, I mean, I've had like left wing liberals who like like you can't even tell them there's tribes that could possibly be evil because how could you say that about a tribe? You know, like, how could you call a tribe evil? Evil. They walk out of that class, they're just like, oh my gosh, there's such a thing as evil people. And in fact, they could be an entire tribe of people that are evil. Yes, every one of them. So, so it's, uh, but they even walk out of that class just going like, oh my gosh, like, that reorients me in a big way to um, what's really going on here. I'm not going to play this game as I usually do in this class because I also I don't see any soldiers in fatigues and usually I get a couple soldiers here. What the hell? Hey, hey. I have to go. You got to go? Do I? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that. <laughs> I'm not out You're not kicked out, bro. Okay. <laughs> the... <laughs> the... Um, there are no soldiers here today, but what I usually do, and especially I got to be standing to do this, is I ask everybody, why defend Israel? And year after year, because today's the day that people fell in the defense of Israel. It's a heavy day today, heavy day. I was actually on Mount Herzl today. Uh, you know, right now, this is like the big day at Mount Herzl for the fallen soldiers. And so why defend Israel? And what happens usually is, is the students give all these reasons, and I write them down. I've even got reached three columns worth of reasons why to defend Israel. And then you know what I write on the top of the board? I write on the top of the board, Russia. The name of the country, Russia. I write the word Russia, and they all look at the list, and they realize, oh, my gosh. We just gave the same exact reasons that you defend any country. None of which are uh, accepted, by the way, 
by the nations. The nations don't believe in any of our rights to survive, except for those good, good ones out there, meaning there's some good individuals out there who believe in our survival. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how far you'd have to press our best friend, which is the U.S. I don't know how far we'd have to press in, against their interests till, like till they would turn on us, too, because, you know, obviously it's, it's, we're of some benefit to them, to the U.S., to be a foothold in the Middle East and also uh, a democracy. And, uh, you know, they, they have reasons for us to be here, not to mention there's a ton of Americans living there, which gets kind of uncomfortable when you're not nice to Israel for the Americans. But you never know how far we could push them because in the end it's every nation's there to survive and they would never put up well with a threat if that threat meant discarding us they would discard us in a heartbeat so so the um, but they are definitely have they are and have been the best friend to Israel since the state was founded so then the question is what's worth defending what's what's what is the actual reason to defend the land of Israel why do we why is this place why is this place worth defending and the answer is clear high-tech just kidding. The answer is clear, and and the answer is that that we stand for values. We stand for eternal values, the eternal values of the Torah, ethical monotheism, and that's the only reason. We're just that moral voice in the conversation of life. And you might say, well, how important is that voice? You know, like, can't the rest of the world have that voice too? Like, we have to have in Israel having that conversation. And the answer is apparently yes. First of all, we know yes, because God not only created us out of nowhere. I mean, we were the only nation in the world born to another nation. You know, like, like you meet a Spaniard, he's from Spain. You meet a Brit, he's from England. You meet a Mexican, he's from... LA, wherever you go and you meet somebody, he's from that place, except for us. We're from Egypt. Our nationhood was formed in another land. We're Goimi Kerev Goy, a nation from within another nation. That's a very weird, that's a very weird genesis of any nationhood. And it's disorienting and it's destabilizing. And we just celebrated Pesach, where we all declared that we're not from here. It's quite destabilizing, and it makes your nationalism, uh, you know, a little different because we're not waving just any flag here, and like any other nation might wave a flag, but we're waving, we're waving a flag of this, this people, this tribe of people, who God wanted on His planet to be a voice for sanity, a voice for goodness, a voice for the inalienable right of all human beings to pursue to pursue happiness to pursue freedom and and that there's something called good because how would you ever know there was something good in the world i mean how could you know there's something good because it feels good (laughs) i know a lot of things you could do that feel good would hurt people you know that would cause damage so how would you know anything's good because of the opposite excellent are you a jordan peterson fan 
that's what he about 25 years ago he just spent all his time he thinks a lot spent all his time trying to figure out if you could know anything's good and he said he never figured it out but he did figure out that there could be something bad and he used he used auschwitz as the ultimate example of how bad someone can choose and how bad things could get that would be the ultimate bad take the most innocent people and torture them beyond any normal any sorry beyond any um, I don't even know what to say that but just to torture innocent people horribly you know in mass and that would be bad and therefore he said he doesn't by the way he never figured out what good is he just figured out that the opposite do anything opposite of that you're probably heading towards good so see how see what kind of contribution you can make for uh, see what contribution you can make for the world that you're causing more good and not more harm in creation like spend your days doing that he never figured out what was good. Now, go, now we're Jewish people, though. He is not a Jew. And we know what's good because we have a prophetic document. And without a prophetic document, then you'd be stuck with, with Jordan Peterson's version of, of good, and that is do the opposite of what they did there. If they took food away, give food. If they hurt people, refrain from hurting people. If they took people's freedom of movement, give freedom of movement. That's all good stuff. But we have an actual prophetic document. And when you have a prophetic document, you now know what's good. Whatever it says is good is what's good. And so leave the corner of your field so the poor people can come eat something too, so they can pick your, you know, poor people shouldn't just be going by landowners and looking at all that produce and having to go to the store and with no money and no food in their hands when they leave. But they should have the corner of your field. Give the poor people the corner of your field. And, and, uh, you know, you see someone go bankrupt who lives in your community who's still driving a nice car because he hasn't had to give it back yet, you know, to switch leases and stuff. And, well, there's a good guy to help because he has not yet fallen. You know, what's the hardest thing? What, why, what's the key to success for all you young people in the room? <laughs> well, the key, there's a lot of keys to success. But one of the main ways you'll get to success is by, is by simply having your, a good head game. So a guy who's been successful and has a nice car and pays a mortgage and can like afford his kid's clothing, that's the guy to help if he's gone bankrupt. That's your number one guy to help because you don't want his head game to go down because he's still got the head together. It's just that, you know, whatever, his competitors went overseas and, and he stayed loyal to his factories in the U.S., and went bankrupt because he couldn't keep up with the with China or whatever. It's a fine businessman. Help him. Help that guy. You guys probably think, well, can you do me a favor? I'm just gonna go crazy here. Can you mind just sitting in that seat for the no show guy over there? And then you just jostle your seat a little bit more. Yeah, slide. You know what? Slide yours that way. And then yeah. Per no, you go back. Go back to where you were. Normally I'm standing, so I can just position myself. But. I think I made it too cool. It's keeping us young. It's like a meat seller here. 
So, um, we're all going to leave here fresher than we walked in. Um, you guys, meaning Peterson, left to his own devices, probably would have missed it. You know, he just said, listen, that guy's got a house, he's got a car, he's got... You know, he, he, okay, his mortgage still is still there, you know. He, he's still got his lease on his car. You know, like, he'll, he'll have to go down a, le- a couple notches in the food chain of, you know, wealth. So you need a prophetic document to let you know that, make that guy your focus. You know, th- and there's a lot of other examples throughout Torah. Another one that's not obvious that he would probably miss as well is, um, is don't wait for government to take care of the poor. In, in the U.S., you're expecting the government to take care of the poor. In, uh, in uh, communist countries, you're expecting the government to take care of the poor. Every political body, except for our prophetic document, which says... The government has no business taking care of the poor because they'll blow it, and they always blow it. They'll do it badly, and the poor will wind up poorer, and there will be more problems. The poor is your problem, says the Torah. Poor is your problem. And no one would know that, even the smartest people. And I believe I've in the dark web lately, I've been hearing some really smart people lately, some very smart people, smarter than the people running the systems that aren't working for the poor. But I bet they'd all miss that. I bet they would still think government. You see, even the state of Israel thinks, and I'm happy they think this, by the way. They they think that um, that it's up to them to make sure we're insured. We have national insurance, which is awesome. That enough? That's enough of a reason to move to Israel. I mean, ins- national insurance, like you and your families, completely medically covered by Jewish doctors. Like, you can't do better than that. Not to mention the, 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 further than that, you get, uh, you get, um, what's the other thing that's really expensive? There's, me- medicine. Med- no, I'm saying medical is expensive for the world. Yeah, and- what's that? School. School. Oh, school. School. School here is socialized. Education is socialized. Your kid can get a top level degree in Israel. University? Yeah, yeah. And didn't cost you anything. I'm going back to school. Didn't cost you anything. My, I, I don't, I'm not going to mention how many kids I have, but all those kids cost me to raise them all the way up. And then uh, they're all up in university degree level now. They're plus, you know, uh, a graduate or two. They're, um, I mean, they didn't even cost me what it costs. All of it together didn't cost one year of school that a Jew would pay in in Brooklyn or something. All of them together didn't measure up to one student, one kid going to school in Brooklyn in one year. And and so why... I'm not going to go on a diatribe against people who live in Brooklyn, obviously, but they... Uh, but why, how, how addicted to your mud can you be? You know, that you're going to... And then you don't even get to raise the kid because you got to work so hard to pay for it that you don't even get to see the kid. When you could have just been paying good attention to 1948's, you know, incredible 
Hashkocha Protis and and uh, Hashkocha Protis of the Six Day War. The sixth day of the sixth sphere was a six day war, and we get back our biblical property, especially the Temple Mount. Like, you want to ignore that one? Personally, when I no offense to all those people that reach out to me about their teenagers who are who are falling off the path of Judaism out there in in uh, the observant community of of New York or all the other areas, New Jersey, all those different places. I help them. I really help them, and I don't say anything like I'm about to say to you. But I don't say what I'm about to say. But but what I'm thinking the whole time is like, what do you think? You, you get to ignore God's hand in Israel's destiny, meaning is not the state of Israel. I mean, call Israel. I mean, you get to ignore God's hand in our destiny, and you're not going to pay for that. Your your kids living in an in an inorganic land to Judaism, a land that you have to assert your Judaism to the point where people actually you this is crazy. I mean, it makes me want to throw up. That people think that Judaism's a religion in America. Why? Because they've been living amongst religious Jews. But that's how bad it is. That when you raise when you live Judaism off of its organic soil off of its ancestral lands. It's a religion. What else is it? It's just a religion. Only in the land of Israel is it organic. And there's even one of our sages who says that all commandments are only, all of the mitzvahs are only for the land, when you're in the land of Israel. And when you leave the land of Israel, you're off the hook. Because they don't mean anything out there. Don't turn the light, turn off the light, don't turn the light, turn off the light, turn off the light. So, David, 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 David. Now, by the way, we don't quote that particular rabbi yeah, we do. Of, our, of our sages. We don't quote him for the halacha, meaning you do have to keep Shabbat in Los Angeles and you do have to put on tefillin in France. And You understand, like... The law of Judaism is whether you're in the land or you're not in the land, you still keep that commandment. That's the way we do things. But believe me, if one of the sages thousands of years ago has that in his tradition, it's something real. And it's something we're fighting for. And today's the day we, we uh, remember the fallen. Now, sadly... Because they were, you know, who are the soldiers? The soldiers are young punks, who most of which, uh, not all of which, but many of which were not uh, understanding what we're talking about in this class. They were just punks who were growing up in Tel Aviv or Netanya or, you know, Herzliya or Haifa or, I don't know why I'm mentioning every city that has good surf. <laughs> but I am. And the, and I stood for that man. <laughs> um, why I'm mentioning... Oh, the reason why I'm mentioning these cities is these soldiers are from these places. All they're trying to defend is that they can get to the beach without getting killed. Because they, in the end, just want to be able to pursue liberty. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
But again, that would be why you fight for any country. Why fight for this country? And look at the double standard of the nations. They don't care about all the reasons we would fight. They don't believe we belong here in the first place. Imagine a, uh, imagine a couple is, uh, you know, let's say they have a home in uh, Tel Aviv, you know, Tel Aviv, Jaffa area, Southern Tel Aviv. And they're loading up, the father's loading up the jet skis on the trailer. Kids are already bouncing up and down the back of their SUV, so excited. His wife comes, he's just gone up to get one more thing. His wife comes running up to up to the stairs and says, honey, there's something wrong. He's like, what's wrong? He says, there's like all these protesters outside our house with reporters. And he's like, what do they want? She's like, you better come down. So he comes down and there's this old Arab guy with a deed for his house. Yeah. And the reporter's like, you know, left-wing reporters. So he's like, is the, de- is the address on this deed truly your address? And he says, yes, it is. He says, what do you have to say for yourself? I mean, did you buy this house from this man? And he's like, no, I was given it, you know, for a certain amount of money for, by the government. Well, well, this man has the deed to your home. And he's expecting you to vacate. Imagine such a scenario. So the guy says to him, listen, you know, like, wake up. You know, like, you didn't notice there was a war? The War of the Independence? Like, 1948? And they're like, no, we don't recognize that. We don't recognize that at all. We recognize the deed. And this guy's got a deed on this property. It's your address. He says, well, you know, the UN vote. (laughs) You know, there was a vote about this land and this part was awarded to us. And they're like, that's nice. Wars, UN votes. Hogwash. We don't care about all that stuff. What are you doing in this guy's property? At which point he says to his wife, Honey, go upstairs and bring out a Tanakh. And she goes upstairs. And she brings down the Tanakh. And he opens up the page of the Tanakh, showing, there's many pages, it says it over and over again, that God gave this land as an eternal heritage to the Jewish people. And the, la- the reporter says, you want to say that you're going to take this ancient document and use it for your right to your home? And he says, yes. <laughs> and she turned, the reporter turns it to another page. She turns it to another page and it says, keep my Sabbath. The guy's like, yeah. And she's like, do you know what today is? He's like, Shabbat. It's Saturday. And she's like, so the claim for the house is this book. 
you want to say that this prophetic document gives you right to take Mustafa's home. Mustafa. But the same book says that you're supposed to be keeping Shabbos. And then, like, the camera goes to the kids in the back of the SUV. You know, we want Tiberia. We want Kinneret. We want Tiberia. We want Kinneret. Because they want to go jet skiing. And they wait in already 20 minutes. So you want to have it both ways. You want to have it both ways. The nations don't accept your wars. The nations don't accept their own vote. But the nations would accept if you would somehow stay true to the covenant, the eternal covenant of this prophetic document. You want to quote the document? So then you got to live all of it. You can't use it just for your claim on your home or your land. The strange thing is that the nations, I believe, really would accept it if we'd actually come back to our tribal roots, if the Jewish people would actually live in consonance with their tribal roots, live organically as Jews on our ancestral lands, I believe the nations of the world would just bug off. Not only that, but I think the, I even think the Palestinians, God created Palestinians just to cause this, uh, how do you say it? I, what did you call Mashber Zahut in English? I'm asking the wrong crowd. Uh, identity crisis. That the Palestinians are just there to create an identity crisis for secular Israelis. Because one day they're going to have to recognize that the only reason they belong here is because of that prophetic document. And that when it comes to wrong and right, you can know what's right. It's not always intuitive like Jordan Peterson would say. But you actually need the Torah for wrong and right. On the deepest and most subtle levels... Levels that no one, I don't care how brilliant they are, they never figure it out. You need the, you need the creator's blueprint for this place. You can't just go with your own, your own logic. Although your logic can go far, you're part of the blueprint. So logic can go far, where human mind is in the blueprint. But you need the person who actually, or the being that actually wrote the blueprint. Yes, you want to say something? That was my whole question. I don't know. I, I, that, I, that's exactly the question I set up. I'm not answering it. I'm not answering it. But I am answering the, the entire Israeli-Palestinian crisis. That, that they're really here for spiritual reasons. Meaning they have other places they could go. There's, there's like, I don't know what all those, you always hear those stats of how many Arab countries surround us and, they were born here, though. How much room they have. I know, but... I know, but they were... They're so they, funny, dog. They kill me. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> That's for sure. They try. 
Now, um, now <laughs> what's worth defending, though, and that's the point of this class, and what's worth celebrating, what's worth defending, what's worth celebrating is, is goodness. There's got to be someone whose voice is just about being good. We don't treat it as important as we should. And we really should, because there's been, just in the last couple hundred years, there's been some of the worst human behavior in all of history. I mean, I'm just the most horror, horrifying tragedies of human error, human malevolence, human evil, have all taken place. Like, like it's all, the, the paint's still fresh. You know, it's still fresh. So you young guys in here are like, eh. Let's just go party on your most man. Like, that class by Rabbi Glaze is too heavy, you know. Let's go run around Ben Yehuda Street with bonkers and bonk people over the head and cool. shoot shaving, cover storefronts with shaving cream so the poor guy can come back on Friday and make his living and not be able Friday? to... Not be, Friday morning to, to make his living and he can't even see his, uh, his wares because all the kids spray-painted all the storefronts. So... Like, they have to clean all that up, though. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do good work. The way that you celebrate such a day is to is to is to celebrate it with with thoughtfulness, with maturity, with do do you know maybe put out if you're a social networker, put out some good things about how to be good, like some mitzvah in the Torah that intuitively no one would have ever figured out and it's just a good good thing to do in the world. Like, put that out there. Like, we have the freedom to, to bring a message to this planet. A message of, of, of brotherhood, of kindness, of love, of, of uh, how can we make the world a better place? Yeah. How about sensitivity to the environment? Not just from Beit Shemesh, for example, which is ultra-Orthodox. Can you explain why there's so much treasure in the place? Of course. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, this class is officially ending there. And um, someone brought up why there's so much garbage in the more observant communities. Uh, by the way, not every ob- more observant community has this, um, but most do. Um, it's the weird thing is the weird thing is there's an ultra orthodox full black hat community that wins cleanest city every year for like twenty years straight. It's called Beitar. 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 <laughs> so, so, I know you and I think it's dirty, but they they must clean it up the day before the, uh, the, the like they must go on some like crazy campaign, right? Yeah, it seems strange that they always win it, but they do. Um, anyway, yeah, it's rigged. Anyway, um, the reason is uh, there's a couple reasons, but you have to accept these as the reasons. You don't have to accept them as right, but these are the real reasons. So there's a couple reasons why very observant homes. 
And you want to know something? It's the same reason why they don't know what they're doing next week. I think the recycling is what they're doing. Because they don't know. They really don't know what they're doing next week. And they're, um, which is really amazing. And I get to capitalize on it all the time. Because let's say I'm running a program Sunday. Well, today's what, Wednesday? So it's kind of too late to advertise for that. Except to a community that doesn't know what they're doing next week. <laughs> I've had secular friends of mine like send me WhatsApps. Amazing news, I'm coming to Israel. I'm like, great, when? You know, thinking maybe this week, next week. They're like, 2024, June 14th. And I'm like, writing back, I'm like, was that a joke? And like, no, no, that's, that's how far out we run our calendars. And, you know, and we believe we have, uh, we have seven days right there. Yeah, so we're wondering if we could come for Shabbos. I'm like, what? You know, like, you can, you know what? When you arrive, you should send me a WhatsApp and ask you if you can come for Shabbos. Because that's how we live. Now, why do we live that way? And we live that way because of various reasons, but one of the main reasons is is that we have very humble homes with very many people inside them. So we're living in, meaning our job is to make sure our kids have something clean to wear in the morning. Now, you go try washing 10 pairs of clothes every single day, you know, and they're very clean. So, like, meaning no kid out of any of those homes, unless there's some real issues in that home, but no kid out of any of those homes is walking out in non-fresh laundry, laundered clothing. It just doesn't happen. You don't send your kid out with dirty anything. And, and that's just the standards of our homes. And it just doesn't go that way. And so, and so, but you go wash, you know, and the tens, like, nice. I know, I have friends... I have friends with 12 kids. I have friends with 14 kids. I have kids with friends with 15 kids. I've, but like many, not one. Meaning I have many friends with 15 kids. I have many friends with more than 15 kids. And, and that family's got a major factory going on in there. And you got to feed those kids and they're feeding them. And I think how many dishes you get. And you can't afford to eat out. Yeah, you're not going to a restaurant with 15 kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> Try taking your 15 kids out to lunch. I mean, what's the average? You know, you take them out, they have a couple slices of pizza or, you know, or, I mean, that's like, if you call that eating out, but, you know, a couple slices of pizza, a drink, you know. Let's just say you're at 40 shekels a kid and uh, times 15 kids plus you and your wife, you know, you like to eat something too, so you're at 17. What's four times 17? Anyone know? How much money are we at? You're at 680 shekels. You're never eating out, man. You're eating in. You're eating and if you're eating in all the time, well, what's it like? You know, there are people who see a therapist twice before Thanksgiving because they're having 17 people over. You understand? They're having 17 people over, so they've made double appointments that week. I mean, that's also because of the people they'll be seeing. But, <laughs> but, the, uh, but they're going to be having 17 people. That's a major pressure. You know, and... And so we're not only feeding 17 people for dinner every night. You know, not that I have 17, 15 kids, but, but a lot of them. We're not, we're not just feeding them every night. We're feeding them every morning. We're packing them their, their snacks. They get school lunches, Baruch Hashem. They're, we're packing them their snacks 
for school, which is sandwiches and stuff for the morning after davening. And then we have a full, hardcore, like, festive meal that would probably outdo many people's Thanksgivings every single Friday night. And then we do it all again. Shabbos Day is usually a nicer meal than, or as nice a meal as anyone serving for Thanksgiving. Every single Shabbos day. Not to mention an entirely different wardrobe that they have to own because you can't wear a weekday wardrobe at a Shabbos meal or else. I'm not sure what the or else is, but it's something really bad and it's going to come from heaven. <laughs> like, don't wear weekday clothes on Shabbos. Period. Like, like, I know guys who, like, they just don't have nicer clothes, but I promise you when Shabbos comes, whatever is their their best of their not nice clothes is what they're wearing. Because that's all you got to do. You just got to wear your finest, which may be really below par, but it is your finest. And everyone, you'll notice, everyone, no matter how, how lousy their wardrobe is, they will somehow pilfer a button-down shirt for Shabbos or something. You know, they'll, they'll somehow get a, a pair of shoes if they've been wearing flip-flops all week. You know, they're suddenly in a pair of shoes. So, so the, you know, the last thing you're worried about is what's outside the house. What is out there? You know, by the way, in Beitar, which, which you and I know more than the cleanliness act people, you know, who somehow rate it, number one. The, um, you, you want to hear a funny thing? Tell me. On your, you live there? So on your block, there's the people who bought the garden floor apartments. How many gardens are there for, let's say, for the 30 people on your block who have gardens, are on garden floor, how many gardens are there? I'm not exactly sure. Approximately. Uh, there's a few. <laughs> a few. I live on Street. Live on what? I would say for every 20 apartments, there's one garden. Probably one per 20 houses. You're in a very American area, by the way. Yeah, I <laughs> You got to go up a block or two. So, the average... There's not a lot of gardens. <laughs> it's dirt. <laughs> it's dirt because it's outside the house. Okay? The only reason they like that floor isn't because of the garden. They like that floor because when they get old and gray, they can get in their house without a lot of steps. Okay? They, they, you know, Neckemeyer, on the other hand, has, like, the Garden of Eden. You know, he's got like some giant meditation center going on down there. It's some he's running some cult where you have to be female to join it. You know? So the um now the anyway, the just kidding. I was at the session. Just kidding. So <laughs> they gave you tea in the women's section? Yeah, I went over there. They're like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, they had the cookies and everything. They gave me teas and cookies. I was like, ta-da. And I went over to the men's section. Very nice over there. Anyway. There's a garden here. Anyway. The answer why why it's so decrepit outside these houses is because, yeah, you'd 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 wind up in therapy if you tried to run one of these places, one of these homes. You know, you just you just wind up like. When I, did I say therapy? Sorry. You'd be locked up there, you know, <laughs> meaning you'd be living there full time. Now there is one more factor and that is financially. There's just, it just happens to be a fact on this globe, everywhere on the globe. The that the, the higher the G, G, uh, standard living, 
meaning company, countries that are wealthier, the higher the standard of living, the nicer the outdoors are. So like, for example, Scandinavia has excellent standard of living, really nice standard of living. You can't find a piece of garbage anywhere. Once you start coming south of the northern countries there, where standard of living also drops a bit, if not a lot, it suddenly gets dirtier outside. So... I'm from India. And the reason why that is, by the way, a nice lady. What's your name, by the way? Denny. Huh? Denny. Denny. Cool name. And the reason why it is like that, Denny, is bec- also is because, is because we, our sphere of influence is really important to us. But it starts small and it gets wider as we attain more wealth or more comfort in life. Meaning, as we get more comfortable, we start to notice stuff in new spheres. And so, based on the based on the financial echelons of communities, they they're just not noticing spheres, like they just don't notice it. I notice stuff, you know. Just on my way home, on my way to the mikvah, I noticed a newspaper had somehow blown its way into our little herb garden, which is outside our front door, but we have lining our building. Our home is herb garden. Now I did not pick it up because I was going to the mikvah. But when I walked back from the mikvah, I was, my hands were already full, you know, I had shampoo and soap and change of clothes that I just changed out of. My hands were full, but you know what? I stopped and said, the local environments within my sphere of recognition, I recognize this spot. It may be public, but it's, it's part of me. And therefore, this paper's getting picked up. Had I left it there, my wife would have picked it up, but had she not been around, I don't think I have a neighbor. That would have I don't think I have a neighbor that would have picked up that that newspaper that blew in. You know, it was loose papers of a newspaper that was once put together. It was pretty loose stuff floating around in the winds. So I don't think I have a neighbor who, who would have seen it. They might have seen caught an editorial, meaning they might have seen a headline that they're interested in, and they, they would have picked it up, read it, and put it right back down. Or just let it float around. So, yeah. I said it, but it, but it, it, it was sounded shock more shocking than if you actually heard the heard the actual narrative how it took place throughout the history of the Jews returning to the land and getting attacked by this particular tribe. Had you heard that class, you'd totally get it. So, But by going straight to the end of the class is a little shocking. I apologize. Okay, everyone, uh, please join uh, yomtobmediaclub.com. Um, I just want to say to anyone who's still watching this class is that if you enjoy these classes, please please join. In fact, there's a I got an email from a woman this morning who said that her rent, her rent is 100 shekels more than all she makes. And she still joined the club for $10 a month because she said to herself, let's just set it and forget it. I get so much out of these classes. Let's, let's help support this and get, get the word more out there. It's yomtovmediaclub.com. Yomtovmediaclub.com. Please, uh, please join the club. If, if you've even watched one class, and you believe that this is important for people, please get it out there. All the best, Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.